I find this scientifically fascinating. You're listening to KUCI Irvine. Disengage this computer now. Broadcasting at 88.9 FM. Hello, computer. And on the web at KUCI.org. The most reliable computer ever made. And streaming through iTunes. Don't expect any mercy during the great robot wars. And Peter Radio brought to you by machines. Returning to normal broadcast in 3, 2, 1. Hey, hey, welcome to the Get the Funk Out Show. I'm your host, Janine, and this morning I have a very special guest. I'm going to be joined by David Joyner. He's an actor and entertainer. He's well-known for being on shows such as The Young and Restless, ER, House, MD, 24, That 70s Show, That's So Raven, and GH, but is most famous for roles in children's television. He starred as Barney for over a decade on the award-winning children's television series Barney and Friends. And now David is starring as Hip Hop Harry in the new award-winning daytime Emmy-nominated children's television series Hip Hop Harry. So please welcome David Joyner. Hi, David. Hi there. How are you? I am excellent. How are you doing? Good, good. So nice to have you join us on a Monday morning. Oh, it's a pleasure to be here. You have a very interesting backstory. <laughs> <laughs> I, I want to hear all how you got you know, into being hired for Barney, but your whole life as an actor, was that something you always wanted to do? Well, I basically have what you could call 15 lives. <laughs> Some people call me Jamaican because I have 15,000 jobs. Wow. Um, but to answer the question, yes. I, as a child growing up, have always been influenced with wanting to make people happy and smile and laugh, mm-hmm. be entertaining. And growing up in a family of six, me being the fifth child, um, I was the one who would come up with different skits, different things to just... Make everybody laugh. Yeah, <laughs> and um, our, our, my family, my brothers and sisters, we would um, we would get together, and if my parents had these different parties or family functions, we would uh, come up with these different routines, and we'd either do a skit or a dance routine or something of that nature. Nice. Growing up in church, um, during the holidays, everyone had their speeches. There was a Christmas speech, there was an Easter speech, uh, there was a children's day, there was a speech, and of course we had to take our speeches home and learn them, and then you get up in front of the congregation and perform these speeches. Well, I wanted to make my speech a presentation. It wasn't just, you know, kids standing up there and reciting the speech. It was like, now nah, I'm going to make this thing as exciting as possible. Oh, i got to hear this. <laughs> so... I would come up with these different voices as I would do the speeches. Um, If we were doing a speech like on the birth of Jesus and, you know, we get up there and, of course, I can't recite one, but I'll just make something up off the top of my head. Um, You know, in a manger far away, a child was given unto the world. So, of course, you know, everyone else would get up there and go, in a manger far away, a child is given unto the world. Right. David Joyner gets up there. In a manger, <laughs> far away. How old were you, David? This was about six or seven. Oh, that's so funny. <laughs> and the the pastor's wife, 
kind of pulled me to the side. She says, hmm, there's something very different about you, mm-hmm. something very unique about you. And so my grooming for acting and entertainment basically started in the church. Interesting. Wow, look at that. At 13, I was um, asked to be the choir director. So I directed the choir. Look at that. And then I was asked to be the youth delegate for different conferences or anything that was important. And so I was the one who was always speaking for the church um, if there was a delegation or a conference or anything going on. And so I was always in front of people. And something about the black church, the African-American church in the United States, it's like the Apollo night in Harlem. Really? If you do good, everybody's, oh, thank you, praise the Lord. Oh, he was after church. Oh, you were great. You were fantastic. If you bombed, if you mess up, if you do anything that's out of character, they are immediately coming up to you. And you know, and, yeah. God doesn't like ugly. <laughs> or, of course, you know, they'd say something to your parents. Right. And you'd have to hear about it. So that was like the judging ground. David, what did your parents think of this? Were they like, David, you know, knock it off, or they were amazed? Well, they weren't amazed, and they weren't knock it off, mm-hmm. it, because it was just me. Okay. And one of the things that um, my parents instilled in all of us is, you know, just be yourself. Nice. Don't try to be anybody else. You know, everybody has a different personality. And, of course, you know, the fifth child, pretty much, you know, as a parent, you, you pretty much know the formula now. Well, I don't have five kids. <laughs> I wouldn't sound this rested. <laughs> but anyway. Well, my mother pretty much knew, okay, number one's got a personality, two's got a different personality, yes. three, oh gosh, he's crazy. Yeah. All right, so number five, all right, just let him be him. And so basically they just allowed me just to be me and have fun. That's nice. Yeah. That's so important. Exactly. So... All right, so then you, you did all this at a young age, and then did you get into acting? Were you getting any roles when you were younger? No, because growing up in um, a small town in Illinois, Decatur, Illinois, mm-hmm. um, there's not a lot of acting opportunities, and I wasn't really big on theater. Um, so I didn't try out for any theater plays, any school plays or anything of that nature, because I always wanted to be on television. As a matter of fact, oh. when I was seven, I used to stand in front of the TV and mimic and lip sync everything that was going on on the television set. And I would block the TV, so mm-hmm. whoever was watching, they'd have to watch me. <laughs> and so I would move my mouth and do the mannerisms to whatever was going on behind me, if it was a newscaster, if it was a television show, or whatever. And so I got really, really good at it. And so growing up, this became like this novelty party gag, mm-hmm. what I would do at different parties um, to help you know, entertain people and do this crazy... I'll, I'll be your body right. and your mouth, and you just start talking. Karaoke TV. And there you go. <laughs> hey, that's a great phrase. I like that. Karaoke TV. That's great. Yeah. But let's backtrack. Um, also, I was, I was very into music. So um, at a very young age, I asked for a guitar for Christmas. I think this was about six or seven. And I get the guitar, never learned how to play it. It was like, okay. <laughs> and I was one of these kids, whenever I asked for something for Christmas, my parents always knew that I was going to take care of it no matter what. So I'd get it. Nice. For a unicycle one year, never learned to ride that unicycle. <laughs> but that unicycle was spotless. Okay. And so one year I asked for drums. 
And so my parents really couldn't afford to get me a drum set. So back in Decatur, one of our big stores was J.C. Penney's. Mm-hmm. So they ordered me this drum, this snare drum kit from J.C. Penney. Mm-hmm. I'll never forget this snare drum. <laughs> it was this blue, sparkly snare drum that had the stand and it had an attached cymbal. Of course, it comes in this box. And in the fifth grade, I started in band. So uh-huh. here I am lugging this drum in the box <laughs> that I made a makeshift handle like 10 blocks away to school. Everyone else shows up with their band instrument. Right. And, you know, supreme condition, cases, and everything that they bought at the music store. Mm-hmm. Here comes David Joyner and his box drum. <laughs> but, of course... Very humbling, didn't bother me, you know. That's good. There was no vanity involved. Learn how to play this drum. And, of course, now I want to learn how to play the drum set. Well, they can't afford a drum set. So my band teacher gives me this case for my snare drum. He's like, look, Mm -hmm. let me give you this case so you can bring the snare drum to class and you not have to lug this box. And I'm like, okay. That was nice. And then he gave me a bass drum pedal, and I found a cymbal from somebody. So I took my mother's bar stools, tilted them to the side. Mm-hmm. I found this, this kettle and put it on the floor as a floor tom-tom. My drums, the snare drum drum case, I would hook up the bass drum pedal to it. And so I had a cymbal, I had another cymbal. How cool. So my, my tom-toms were the, was the, uh, the bar stools. So I would sit in the basement and literally learn how to play the drums off of this bar stool, that is awesome. This kettle and these cymbals and, and my bass, my um, snare drum case is my bass drum. That is amazing. So I've always had this knack for trying to invent and make things, which is great. Yeah, it's a great skill, and that got me into electronics. So not to deviate from your question, no, no, no. This is all going to come back to the, mm-hmm. the question as far as acting entertainment. So in electronics. One of the things that I learned was, well, I, I used to take my parents' appliances apart. Oh, they must have loved that. Would, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I want to see how they worked. So I'd take them apart and see if I could put it back together. Well, there are a couple of things that, of course, I didn't get to put back together exactly like they were supposed to be. The toaster, the phone. <laughs> <laughs> so I got in trouble a lot with the appliances. So then my mother decided, okay, if you're going to do this, let's do it for real. Yeah. So I would order these transistor radio kits or these different type of electronic components that you can put together. Well, one of the things that happens is when you get these things in the mail, the first thing you have to do is take inventory. So if you're building a transistor radio, of course, there's thousands of parts you have to put together. Sure. So you have to take everything out piece by piece, lay it to the side, do an inventory, make sure you have every single piece. And if not, you have to send it back in. If you start building a thing and you realize you don't have something then you're screwed. Mm-hmm. So from that, I learned to be organized. So of course, you had to put everything in its place. From the organization, you learn details. So from the details, you learn how to build these certain things, and you learn how to do it in a structural way. Well, from that, now from my entertainment, right. wanting to be an actor, I wouldn't just stand in front of the TV anymore. I wasn't just trying to recite the, the Christmas speeches I started studying. I would watch television, and I would see how they were doing it. I 
it's mm-hmm. either mannerisms, either acting, because there was no acting school in Decatur. Yeah. So I said, I have to basically teach myself. So you just studied every detail. Every single detail. Mm-hmm. And some, someone told me years later that God is in the details. Mm, I've heard that. Yeah. So from studying different details, I basically taught myself acting. N- never took a class. At this point, had never taken a class. Look at that. And so now fast forwarding to... Um, I was also very involved in athletics as a child growing up, basketball, football, track, um, lettered in all three sports, and received a track scholarship for the long jump from high school. Well, I decided this is my goal. I want to be an actor. I want to be an entertainer. I want to make people laugh and have fun. I'm not going to go to a four-year school waste the scholarship, waste my parents' money. Mm-hmm. I want to go to a two-year tech school, learn electronics, get a degree, get a great job, work at least for five years, and then quit to pursue entertainment full-time. All right. That was the goal. Prayed about it. Very involved with the... My, my parents and I were very... Uh, we, we had a great relationship. That was when, my next question, by the way. Yeah, when, yeah. yeah. Um, my mother and I were like compadres. We were the best of best. We would confide in each other to the deepest detail. I would tell her secrets that, of course, a lot of kids would never tell their parents. Mm -hmm. And I always felt the relationship we had was a true bond. And, of course, my father and I also had a great bond. But for some reason, I really, really got along well with my mother. That's nice. And uh, my mother was this really strong independent, loving woman. My parents really showed adoration and respect toward each other. Never really heard any yelling, mm-hmm. arguing, fussing. There was just lots of love. That's there beautiful. Was lots of love in our household. So, you know, I was very fortunate growing up in a household full of love. So nice. Yeah. So when I told them this plan, it wasn't like some random kid just spewing something out of the air. They had seen my track record. Mm-hmm. They'd seen all the things that I'd accomplished, all the things that I was doing. And so they knew, okay, this is what you want to do. We're behind you 100%. And so they were behind me 100%. That's great. Very rare, by the way. You know? Yeah. But one of the things, too, um, growing up in the church, not only did I learn religion, but I learned about my spirituality and my spiritual connection. And... Knowing that if you line your plan up with God's plan in your life, then something beautiful is bound to happen. Nice. And whenever I would try to make a decision, whenever I was trying to try to figure something out, I would just stop and pray and meditate, and I would receive an answer. Mm. My father's mother, my grandmother, had some Native American Indian in her. And she was very clairvoyant and a little bit of a psychic, but I don't think she really practiced and nurtured her gift. But one of the things that she shared with me as a young kid, she says, you have a gift of healing, and you also have a gift of discerning and a gift of the clairvoyancy. You see things before they happen. Did you feel like that too? Well, I didn't at the time, but a lot of times I would realize something was going to happen, 
or I would see it before it would happen, Mm -hmm. and it would happen. But my thought was, okay, I want this to happen so bad, it's going to happen. I see. Or I planned it, and it would happen. Well, one of the things that she shared with me is like, no, you really have this gift, and if you really nurture this gift, it will be very profound in your life, but you have to nurture it. And so growing up, one of my other things was connecting with people on a spiritual level. As a matter of fact, my nickname growing up was Preacher. And my jersey number on all my, my team sports was 22. So that number was really close to me. So people would actually call me Preacher number 22, right? <laughs> so uh, a lot of people, a lot of uh, my friends in school, high school, would come to me and they have these different problems, these different situations, or something that they want to figure out. And they would just come to me. Look at that. And ask a question. And so I would just kind of sit back in a very calm nature, think about it, and then I would receive an answer, and I'd start sharing it with them. Now, a lot of times I'm receiving this answer and hearing it for the first time myself and sharing these details with them. And and sometimes within the details, I'm sharing with them something that they hadn't shared with me yet. And a lot of times they look at me and go, whoa, how did you know that? Right, how did you know that? And I'm like, it's not me. I'm just channeling this. This is not me. And so now, at, at 16 years old, right? 16 you're doing this? At 16. Okay. You've got a kid that wants to be an actor. You've got a kid that's into sports. You've got a kid that's somewhat basic ministry now. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> You've got a kid that uh, loves electronics and wants to get a degree in electronics. And you play the drums. And you've got a kid that plays the drums. So you have all, and, oh, and the gift of healing. Yes. Clairvoyancy. Clairvoyancy. So you have all these different things. So, of course, it's like, where do I go now? Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. <laughs> and so you, you, when you think about it, you think, wow, this guy's really talented. He's really gifted. But inside, my brain's like, scrambled. what do I do? Yeah, you're scrambled. <laughs> exactly. You don't know which direction to go. <laughs> So I tried to do as much as I could with everything that I was learning and every gift that I had to try to develop those different gifts. And now today, I look at all the things that I used to do as a kid to Mm -hmm. try to develop those gifts, and I see, wow, this led to this, this led to this, this led to this. And I look at where I'm at now going, that was a part of the journey. Interesting. Yeah. You paid attention to all those messages and yeah. all those things going on inside your head. Which, And by the way, if you're just tuning in, you're listening to David Joyner. I'm your host, Janine, on KUCI 88.9 FM, and this is the Get the Funk Out show. And what I was going to ask you, since the theme of the show is starting new directions and creativity in your life, did you ever find yourself in a funk at, at this age and wondering, you know, wait a minute, I'm confused, I'm lost, or is it all very positive for you? Well, this is the key. When I think of being in a funk mm-hmm. um, and learning this from my, my parents, especially my mother and my grandmother, what some people consider a funk, I consider it fertilization. That's great. Yeah. Rain that sometimes you need that soil to get moist in order for something to grow. Mm-hmm. Now, granted, there has been a lot of things that happened in my life that you would look at and go, whoa whoa, but yet I was able to survive them. 
And why, um, do you th- why do you think that is? From a young age, learning different things, learning details, um, learning to build things. When you learn to build something, you see it from the conception. When you pick something up in the mail that's been delivered to you in a box, you take this thing out of the box, you have all these different components that you've laid to the side, and now you have to build this thing. And it's not going to take a day or two days or three. It may take a week or a month. And as you're building it, you see the process and you see a progress that's happening. Now, there may be some challenges. There may be something that happens. You may solder something wrong or you may have a component that's not right or a transistor that's messed up and Mm -hmm. you have to go replace it. But yet, you're looking at the finished product and you know that by the time you get everything done, you're going to have this beautiful transistor radio sitting in front of you. Nice. And I used to look at life like that also as a kid. And a lot of it came when people would come up to me and ask certain questions, and I would just channel some of the answers. As you look at certain struggles that you're going through, you have to also realize that how you look at it now is not exactly how you're going to see it a year from now. So as you're looking at it now in these dark shade glasses, Mm -hmm. barely able to see what's in front of you, Sometimes you have to take that step and go, okay, maybe I'm not supposed to run right now. Maybe I'm supposed to walk or maybe I'm supposed to crawl. But within this walking and crawling process, what am I learning through this process? What relationships am I developing through this process? And as I'm going through this process, what is the end result going to be? And as long as you keep your mind set on the end result, you may go through some avenues that, weren't necessarily in the game plan, but yet they were a part of the plan. Because a lot of times we think we plan certain things out and we think it's going to be that way. Yes. It's not going to be that way. Because, of course, you know, I, I decided, okay, I'm going to go to school, going to get this degree, work at least five years for a company, mm-hmm. and then quit to get into entertainment. Well, even in that goal and even in that plan, as it turned out, it didn't necessarily turn out exactly like I planned it. That's right. But yet, it did happen. So I, I go to ITT Tech in Indianapolis. And, oh, first of all, I graduate high school. I give the benediction at the commencement exercises. Oh, nice. Yeah, and at the time, this was uh, back when Jesse Jackson gave his speech, I am somebody, mm-hmm. I am somebody. So I wanted to reflect on that with uh, the class. I'll, I'll date myself, the class of 1981. Okay. If anybody's listening, yes, I'm, I'm older. but I'm <laughs> You're not that old. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> so within this benediction um, of the commencement exercises, I decided, of course, I'm going to do like the kid did back in elementary school giving his Sunday speech. <laughs> I'm going to make it a presentation. <laughs> <laughs> so... Of course, I'm standing up there, and I'm like, we the class of 1981 are of one accord. We're striving to be what we should be. We're going to be destined in this world. And I was going on and on and on and on. And at the very end, I said, so stand up and repeat after me. I am somebody. I love it. I was born to be somebody. I am going to be somebody. <laughs> so, you know, at the very end, you hear this big roar, this big cha, this great. cheering, and this chanting. Everyone's like, ah. That is, how many people, by the way? 
um, a class of 200. Nice. So that was like this really high point in my life. This was on a Friday. Now, this is how determined I was. This was on a Friday. That Sunday, I was off to school. Look at you. No time to celebrate. No time to hang out with the guys and party. I'm going to school. I'm ready to get this thing going. So I started ITT Tech, going to school. Everything's going great. And, of course, you're in school. You're away from home. Mm-hmm. Other influences start trickling in. Yes. You're, like, in the college atmosphere. Even though I'm in a technical school, you're in a college atmosphere. So I'm going to ITT Tech in Indianapolis. And then I started taking uh, massage therapy classes over at IUPUI, mm-hmm. which is Indiana University, Purdue University in Indianapolis. So I'm doing that. I'm doing the electronics, friends, hanging out, partying. And you know what comes with partying in school. Yes. So all these So I hear. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so all these different vices are not coming in, and you're thinking, all right, I'm going to party for a little bit and have fun, but yet still stay focused. Right. So the grades start slipping. Oh, boy. Things weren't going right. So then I'm like, okay, time to buckle down. And it was like all these different bad things were happening. Wasn't going to church as much anymore. Because of all the partying, David? Yeah. Yeah. Then my mom would call. She's like, go to church this Sunday? I'm like, uh. She's like, you know, you got to get back in church. You know, that's your backbone. That's your bread and butter. Right. Not all people are supposed to be in church. She says, but you... For some reason, that's where you get your fuel. And you tell that. me that all the time. I'm Look like, okay, that. I'll go, I'll go. Okay. And so once I started going back to church, it was like, all right, things just started taking off again. Started focusing, graduated a month before the class, graduated with honors. But excuse me, thank goodness you listened to your mom. Yeah. I mean, you know, <laughs> amazing how your mom just keeps you on track. She really did. Yeah really did. So then I get this job before I graduate in Indianapolis, working for this company. Now, as we're in school, I know I keep going back and forth. As we're in school, one of the components that we use was from Texas Instruments. And so we used to make this joke all the time, like, yeah, you know, and this is time that Dallas was on television and it was really popular. Like, yeah, man, we're going to, let's go to Dallas, man, and, <laughs> and, and live like JR and get a nice house with a pool. Yeah, sure. Go work for Texas Instruments. <laughs> you know, we're going to do it, man. This is what we're going to do. So easy. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so this is where the clairvoyancy is coming in, and I don't know it at the time. So we're all talking about Dallas and Texas Instruments. So right before I graduate, I get this job with a company in Indianapolis. So I'm working there for about a year and a half, and I get fired. Ooh. Yeah. I get fired because one of, one of the things that we would do is we would go in to companies, look at their infrastructure as far as electrical is concerned, and then try to upgrade them so that they could add computers to their systems. So one of the things that I would have to do is go in and count the different conduits of wires and the different wires that were in the conduits. Now, I would go through a whole plant. There was one plant in Evansville, Indiana, called Alcoa, which is right outside of Evansville, a mm-hmm. plant, Alcoa. Well, at the time, I didn't realize close to Greenville, Indiana, was the headquarters of the Ku Klux Klan. Ooh. <laughs> yeah. 
So I would go down to Evansville and work at Alcoa, and then my boss put me in charge of the whole Alcoa plant situation. So then I moved to Evansville. So I'm down there, and, of Uh course... 20-year-old black guy driving a sports car. Yikes, yeah. The last person you want to listen to if you were part of the Klan. Right. Walking into your company saying, I need this box open, I need this junction box open, I need to get into this computer panel, this electrical panel. And the union's really big. And so, of course, you know, hey, I'm on my break. I'm sorry, I can't help. I'm like, uh, I'm on a deadline. I need to get this. I'm sorry. I don't know who you're talking to, but I'm not going to help. So one day I got so upset, I decided, okay, look, I'm going to open this panel. I'm going to go through here myself. I don't don't need you to open the panel. So I opened the panel, and then what did I do that for? Sure enough, the guy who was in charge, he's like, oh, that's it. That's it. That's all I needed. So he started cussing and fussing. So then my boss drives down from Indianapolis, and he's cussing and fussing, and he's like, join her. What are you (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> He's blowing a gasket. <laughs> exactly. He's like, you know, I'm going to have to let you go. I'm going to have to fire you. I'm like, why well, quit? He's like, no, you can't quit. I fire you. Uh, they did you a favor. <laughs> so, so now, get this. So the sports car is now in the shop. It was my, my Triumph TR7. Oh, I, nice. I just had to get this car. My father told me, don't get that car. Don't get that car. But I just had to get this car. Of course, of course, now this car is in the shop. The engine is blown. Ugh. So I'm fired. Car's in the shop. No transportation. What am I going to do? You're stuck there. So, <laughs> so I go home. I pray. I meditate. I take a deep breath, and I just close my eyes. I pray, and I meditate. Now, I graduate a month before my class. Well, Texas Instruments came up and did a recruitment after I had graduated. Oh. 20% of my class is now living in Dallas working at Texas Instruments. <laughs> <laughs> but not you. <laughs> not me. So, of course, I still keep in touch with a couple of the guys. So I call a couple of friends, and I'm like, so what's it like in Dallas, man? They're like, oh, man, it's the bomb, man. Mm-hmm. It's great, beautiful women. Oh, man, it's beautiful here. The weather's great. I'm like, well, I just got fired. They're like, really? Oh, man, you should come to Dallas. You should come to Dallas. Mm -hmm. I said, well, let me see what I can do. So I call the placement director at ITT Tech. I tell her what I I said. I want to move to Dallas. I want to work for Texas Instruments. I was very clear. I said, can you get me a job? Get me an interview. Get me something. She says, I'll see what I can do. A couple of days, she calls me back later. She's like, okay, I've got you an interview set up on the phone with Texas Instruments. Give this guy a call, blah, 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 blah. Mm-hmm. Hey, great. Call the guy, interview over the phone. Of course, he's got my records in front of him. Offers me the job over the phone. Whoa. When can you start? Tomorrow. I said, well, <laughs> when I graduated high school, I never got a chance to just hang out with my friends. So can I have three weeks? I said, sure. Really? You said that? And they yeah. said that? Yeah. Amazing. So uh, that's one thing I've always learned. If you want something, be direct. Yes, that's if you, nice. If, if you feel that's in your heart, be direct. Don't penny any about it, just be direct. And so he said, sure. So I said, okay, that'll give me a chance, you know, to go home, relax, have some fun, and come on down. 
Like, yeah, we'll pay for your move and everything. Beautiful. So, of course, I have to wait for my car to get fixed. <laughs> so I call my dad. He comes and moves all my furniture back to Illinois. <laughs> so car gets fixed, drive to Illinois, hanging out at home for a week. I walk in the house, and my mom's got all my furniture all in the house. I'm like, wow, that looks good. That looks good there. Okay. And she's like, oh, yeah, baby, I like this dining room table. <laughs> so now you have nothing. <laughs> You've been cleaned out by your parents. <laughs> you know what, David? We've got to take a quick break, and we're going to come right back. Okay, great. Uh, all right, so hang tight, and we'll be back more with David Joyner. You're listening to KUCI 88.9 FM right here in Irvine. I find this scientifically fascinating. You're listening to KUCI Irvine. Disengage this computer now. Broadcasting at 88.9 FM. Hello, computer. And on the web at KUCI.org. The most reliable computer ever made. And streaming through iTunes. Don't expect any mercy during the Great Robot Wars. And Peter Radio brought to you by machines. Returning to normal broadcast in free. Two, one. You're listening to KCI 88.9 FM. Irvine, Irvine, Irvine. Friend us on Facebook at KUCI FM and Twitter at KUCI FM. KUCI. Talk, music, and more. Hi there, I'm your host Janine. You're listening to KUCI 88.9 FM, and this is the Get the Funk Out Show, and we're back with actor and entertainer David Joyner. So, David, so by now you've been transported back to your parents' house, and they've taken over all your belongings. Right, right. So, <laughs> no. I'm there for a week. Okay. Hanging out, just having fun. And then I decide, okay, let me just go ahead and drive down to Dallas. Well, I get in the car, drive. About 200 miles from my hometown, the car blows up again. Oh, no. So, of course, my mom's like, well, maybe you're supposed to come home. Maybe you're not supposed to go to Dallas. And I'm like, no, Mom, I'm going to Dallas. So I catch the first thing out of there. It was a Greyhound bus. Have them tow my car. My dad comes and picks up the car. So I'm off to Dallas in this Greyhound bus, and I pick everything I could from the car and load into this bus. (laughs) The longest bus ride I have ever taken. 12-hour bus ride to Dallas. So one of my good friends from school is living in Dallas, working for Texas Instruments. So I decided to bunk with him until I get on my feet. And uh, a week later, I go to the interview, Texas Instruments. So I'm there, and, you know, they ask, you know, what's, uh, what's, your, long, what's, what's your long-term goal? And I said, well, I want to be here at least five years, and then quit to pursue entertainment. And they looked at me, Uh are you sure? That's what you want to do? I said, yeah. I said, but out of that five years, you're going to get the best you could possibly get from me. All right. Okay, very direct, very honest. Okay, of course, then they looked at each other, oh, he's going to be a lifer, he's going to be a lifer. So, get the job. I go to get my physical, and then find out that I'm slightly colorblind in my left eye. Really? So they can't give me the job. <gasps> oh, David. <laughs> oh, no. What did you do? Fired. Car blows up. <laughs> I moved to Texas. Don't get the job. Oh, no. 
Now I'm looking at it like, all right, this could be very devastating or this could be something that I'm supposed to do. This is a learning process. What's going on? What's going on? So, of course, you know, I was a little sad and depressed for a moment. And then um, I decided, you know what? I'm going to make this work. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make it work. So I would call the, place, I called the placement director at ITT Tech, mm-hmm. let her know what was going on. Called IT, I mean, called TI, called the guy at TI. I pestered him like every two weeks. I would call him nonstop. Have anything yet? Stalker. Have anything yet? <laughs> <laughs> and then I would go around and put in different applications at other places. Well, then I get an interview with this other company, Spectrodyne, mm-hmm. and I'm about to go to this interview, and I get a call from TI, Texas Instruments. Hi, we're starting this program, and we would like to know if you would like to be a guinea pig. And I'm like, excuse me? Like, well, we have this area that designs circuit boards, and a lot of the people that design the circuit boards are trained to design the circuit boards, but they don't have electronic background. So a lot of times, as they're consulting with the electrical engineer, they may put a component next to another component that may heat up or cause... um, cause different frequency modulations or some type of problems in the field. So we figured if we could get a person that has electronic background and teach them how to design circuit boards, we could alleviate some of the problems. How would you like to be the guinea pig? I said, okay. Well, of course, now this job is going to pay more than the other job is going to pay. Beautiful. Yeah. So, of course, you know, colorblind doesn't matter. (laughs) Where were you living, by the way, while you're trying to find your way? I was still living with uh, my good friend. Oh, okay. Yeah, his name was Thomas Mayberry. Still living with Thomas Mayberry, hanging out in Dallas. So I get the job and started working, go home, tow my car back. They move all my furniture down. My mom was a little upset. She had to give up that dining room table. (laughs) But she understood. And so then I started working. And things were going great. Nice. Of course, you know, I promised him five years. Mm-hmm. Well, Dallas was a nice party town. When you start making money in Dallas, 21 years old, you get to party. Sure, you're going out. Yes, and yeah. I love to dance. Going out all the time, clubbing, having fun. And I also used to do this act called the Mannequin Man. I used to be a, a live mannequin in the store windows. So I would stand in oh. the store windows in different malls and move mechanically as a live mannequin. So I'm doing all these things, burning oil at two, two ends. And of course, entertainment was always the goal. So I wasn't just going out clubbing. I was going out and performing. And I was going out dancing. And I was doing all these different things, dancing, modeling, mm-hmm. lip syncing, singing, whatever I could to do to get my name out there. Nice. Well, the fifth year comes up, and I'm not ready financially to quit my job. So I said, okay, time to buckle down. Time to buckle down. So then I said to myself, okay, I'm making money dancing, singing, modeling, but I'm not doing anything acting-wise. Okay, now it's time to focus on the acting. So I started taking this workshop um, from this this guy in Dallas. Um, And when I started taking the workshop, this adult workshop, well, little did I know that the gentleman I was taking the workshop from, his name was Jay, his wife... Linda Sito ran an acting school for kids, kids between the ages of three and a half to 18. Well, during the weekends, the adults 
from the workshop class and the kids, we get together and we would do these improvs and we would do these live performance improvs. How fun. Now, um, this is 1990 now. So one day, Jay asked me, he says, hey, you know, they need a substitute teacher over at the acting school. Why don't you go over? Like, I don't know how to teach. He's like, sure you do. <laughs> you know, you're great. Just do what I taught you. So I go over to this acting school and I'm working with these four and five, three and a half year olds and having the time of my life. Because if you're going to teach a child that age to try and act, you have to do it by example. Sure. So here I'm this big, goofy black guy coming in there acting as goofy as possible to try to get these kids to have fun. And not only was, it lear- was I learning, not only were they learning, but I was also learning. And it was like really helping me be more animated, more charismatic, and more fun in my performances and in my acting. Well, now I decide I'm going to really, really dig down into this. Well, a casting director comes in, and um, these kids go through a two-day workshop, and they call it the Hollywood Showcase, where they fly in casting directors and agents from L.A., and these kids go through this workshop. And so this casting director, also from Dallas, was invited. Well, she comes in, and she sees me working with these four- and five-year-olds. and She's like, who is this guy? <laughs> so she asks for a headshot and resume, and she says, I love your energy. I want to bring you in. I cast you and audition, audition you for a project. I said, okay, great. All right. She calls me in for America's Most Wanted. So, <laughs> yeah. You look Not really what you had in mind. Kid, but hey, you want to play a drug dealer? <laughs> so I auditioned for this, drug, this, this gang-banging drug dealer mm. who had just got out of jail and um, found out that one of his guys turned state's evidence against him. So he and another friend pick the guy up shoot him in the car, pushes him out the car, and then he tells the friend to run over him. Oh. Now, I'm auditioning for this character. <laughs> now, at the time, I had a flipper, because I had a false tooth, right? And this flipper would come out, in and out. Wait, you had a flipper? Yeah, well, there's another story I didn't share with you. I got hit with a softball bat in the fourth grade, oh. my front tooth out, and blah, 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 blah. Oh, no. Yeah. So one of my teeth were false, and it was flipped. I was on a flipper, and I, would, I could take it out. Okay. So I'm in this audition, and there's three of us in the audition, and I'm sitting in the passenger seat of the car, and I turn around to this guy as if I'm shooting him, and I go, bang, bang, and my flipper comes out. Oh, David. So the guy in the back seat, his reaction was priceless. He's like, what the? <laughs> so then the casting director is like, oh, my God, that was amazing. That was so real. <laughs> well, I get the part. Right? So now I'm bragging at Texas Instruments. Yeah, I got to go to Arkansas. I'm going to shoot this thing. America's most wanted. Yeah. So then I get a call by the casting director. David, I have good news and bad news. The good news is they caught the guy. The bad news is now we're not going to shoot it. Oh. Man. I was oh. like, uh, so I learned a lesson. Ah, never brag yeah. about what's going to happen in this business before it happens. It's so true. Yes, and now I've learned to never even talk about it until you actually see it I know. on the air. So then what happens is, now I decide, okay, six years, I'm going to quit at the end of this year. I'm ready to do it. So Texas Instruments is about to have a major layoff, and this is April and May of 1990. So I go to my boss, and I ask if you could put my name on a list to get the severance package. 
So he comes back to me and says, I'm sorry, I can't do it. I said, okay, fine. So I go to my calendar, because I knew someone in my area was going to get fired or get laid off. So I go to my desk, I pull out my calendar all 12 months. I close my eyes, I meditate, and I kind of do a circle in the air with my finger and then land my finger on the calendar. And I open my eyes, September. So mm-hmm. I say, September 28th, that's my last day here at Texas Instruments. So from May to September, I'm now getting ready. I'm going to do this thing. So people are like, well, what are you going to do? So I'm going to perform. I'm going to act. What do you have lined up? Nothing. <laughs> How are you going to make it? I know I'm no going to clue. make it. No clue. I know I'm going to make it. <laughs> How I'm going to make it? I have no idea, but I know I'm going to make it. Oh, my gosh. Now, from May until September, I'm still doing any and everything I can to get my name out there. I'm modeling. I'm dancing. I'm mannequin manning. I'm doing any and everything I can. And also still teaching at the acting school. Mm-hmm. September 14th, I turn in my two weeks' notice for Texas Instruments. A week later, a fax comes across the line <clears throat> at the acting school for kids. They're looking for somebody to, uh, the same casting director that auditioned me for the America's Most Wanted, <clears throat> excuse me, now is looking for somebody to be Barney. So the fax comes across, looking for somebody, very animated, great actor, works well with children. So she wants me to audition for this purple dinosaur. What were you thinking when you saw that? Yeah, no, whatever. <laughs> costume? I don't think so. And then, wait, it's all wait. about me, baby. It's about yeah. my faith. I don't mean no costume. Are right, you crazy? right. So then, of course, you know, never doing costume work before anyway. So it's like, I don't know how to do this. So I told the woman at the acting school in Aceto, I said, I don't know if I want to do this. And she says, well, if you're not going to do it, I think you should call Shirley. And the lady's name was Shirley Abrams, the casting director. Great woman. She's passed away now, but great woman. Mm-hmm. She says, I think you should call Shirley and tell her personally. So I call Shirley. Tell her I don't want to do this. And Shirley's like, no, 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 no. You don't understand. You're perfect for it. What I'm going to do is I'm going to send you some videos. And Barney had done some home videos. And the guy that was originally the body of Barney had left and gone to the Army. And they had done six home videos. So now they're looking to do two more. So she's like, no, I'm going to send you these home videos, and I want you to study so that you'll be very well prepared. I said, okay, Shirley, for you, I'll go. All right. All right. Yeah. So she sends me these videos. I'm watching these videos and falling asleep. What the heck is this thing? This big purple (laughs) dog of a costume. What is this? And by the way, you never had to be the voice of Barney, just the body. The body. Okay. Which is something that comes into play later on, right? Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, te- what did you call it? Television karaoke? Yes. Yeah. Da, 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 da. You Keep studied all your life for this Keep role. Keep a pin in that one. <laughs> so, so one night, the night before the audition, I'm watching the videotapes and I'm falling asleep. And I keep falling asleep. And I'm like, what, am, what is this thing? So I go to bed and I'm like, okay, God, you're going to help me. Have to help. You're going to have to help me out. I don't know what this thing is. I don't want to walk into this audition and not know what I'm doing. So... The next morning I wake up, well, before I wake up, I have this dream. And in this dream, Barney passes out, and I rush to him and give him mouth-to-mouth resuscitation. <laughs> so, I know, right? Crazy. So I have these very clear, vivid dreams. And a lot of times if I'm trying to solve something, I'll meditate on it before I go to sleep, and it'll come to me in my dream. Well, I wake up the next morning not knowing what the heck that was, going, okay, I don't know what this is. You're going to have to figure this out. Driving to the audition, I stop at a stoplight. I look up, and there's this billboard 
close to the airport, there's this billboard that says, breathe life into your vacation. So I'm sitting there for a second or two, breathe life into your vacation. Oh, like, ah, breathe life into your vacation. Breathe life into Barney. I can't fall asleep because Barney's dead. I got to breathe life into this character. There you go. I go into the audition, and that was the premise, to be as animated and as fun as possible. And, of course, that was the main thing that Shirley said to me. She says, you're very animated, and you work well with kids. Right. And that's one of the things that I learned from doing the improv with the kids and then started teaching with the kids. So all these different things were like now connecting the dots. And it was like, this is a piece of the puzzle. That's a piece of the puzzle. Was this my journey? No. Was this a part of the journey? Yes. Is this what I planned out? No. No. I didn't plan out to be in a purple costume for 14 years, but is it a part of the journey? Yes. So then, long story short, I auditioned for the character. Second audition, the voice is there. Mm-hmm. They want us to be able to move the mouth as he's talking. Sure, no problem. We have a script in front of us. We do it. And it's like, okay, now we're going to see how well you can ad-lib because sometimes we're going to do some interviews and there's no script. Sure, no problem. So the guy's talking, it, and I'm keeping up with them everything. And they're, he's, they're like, whoa, whoa how, do, how do you know he's, what he's about to say? I said, well, actually I don't. This is a little thing I used to do as a kid growing up. I would lip sync in front of the TV and I would just move to what, what, what I was hearing. Look at that. Like, wow, another dot to Perfect. the puzzle, right? Perfect. After five auditions, I didn't get the part. They what? give it to a girl. What? <laughs> so now, wait a minute, now I'm thinking, my mind backtracks. I got fired. My car blew up. I get to Dallas. I didn't get the job. I now work for Texas Instruments. I decide I'm going to quit. I'm teaching at the school. Now I audition for this character. I didn't want to audition at first. Now I'm going to audition for it. I love this character now. I want to get the part. I don't get the part. But something inside told me, don't even worry about it. That's good. You got the part. That's Really? Yes. Lo and behold, the young lady had to do a live appearance before they go into the studio to shoot the first video, mm-hmm. she freaks out. <gasps> she can't handle the kids. Uh. So then I get a call from Shirley. Um, David, would you still consider being Barney? <laughs> <laughs> she couldn't handle the kids. <laughs> of course, you know, inside I'm going, yes. But on the phone, I'm like, sure, Shirley. That I know. would be great. I guess yeah, so. Well, let me I'm... get back to you and check my schedule. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, yes. So now, to make a long story short, After doing the television show for 10 years, I decide, now it's time to move to Los Angeles. If I don't move to Los Angeles now, I'll never do it. Barney's Mm -hmm. about to go on a year hiatus. I had received confirmation that I was going to star in another children's television series. Not knowing when, not knowing where, but I used to tell people that before I left Dallas. I'm going to be in another children's television series. I leave Dallas, move to Los Angeles. The guy I had trained to do Barney wasn't really doing as well. The ratings started going down. So then they asked me if I'd do some more appearances and then train other Barneys in different countries. So then that lasted for another four years. Wow, look at that. So in 2003, I'm on the set of That's So Raven doing an episode, Mm -hmm. and word gets out that this is the guy who used to be Barney. Well, this young lady that was on set asked me if I ever heard of Hip Hop Harry, and I said, no. Well, there's these guys that are trying to get this series off the ground. A gentleman named Claude Brooks. You mind meeting with them, trying to give them some pointers on how to get this thing on television? 
said, sure. So, you know, Los Angeles, I get an invitation to drive onto the lot of Paramount Studios. Beautiful. I'm thinking, whoa, this is big. Right. So I'm sitting there with these guys, and I'm talking to them about, you know, the do's and don'ts about children's television. Um, if the guy that you want to get in the costume, make sure he can do this and do that. And, of course, I had studied kinetic energy. And when you're in the costume, there's certain things that you can't see. Your peripheral has to be very important. But even with your peripheral not being able to see certain things, you have to rely on your sense of touch and the sense of sound waves and patterns. Like a blind person, you Mm -hmm. have to almost use your sonar. Interesting. And be able to do certain things because if you can't look at something because you're facing a certain way and you have to pick up a prop or whatever, you have to make sure that you feel the energy in this prop. So I'm explaining this as I'm, I'm giving examples as I'm explaining it. So they're like, wow, that's pretty cool. And I said, no, you want to make sure that the guy's related to the guy that does the voice so that you can know he has his personality and he can move the costume and the mouth and the same mannerisms and he's not like, in his own world, but yes. now he embodies the character. I said, right. It's all about the spirit of a character. You're not an actor in a costume. You have to be the character. So then, I know time is running short. Yes. So then... Um, we have about two minutes. So then he looks at me and he says, would you like to be the part? <gasps> Pop Harry, I says, no, no, I kind of got out of the costume characters. And he says, no, 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 you don't understand. We've been studying all these Barney videos, and you're like the Michael Jordan of costume characters. And I'm like, whoa. Right, that's a compliment. And then Big. one of the ladies, one of the, the executive producers, Galila Lazarus, she looks at me, Ethiopian, beautiful mm-hmm. eyes. She looks at me and she says, you know, we made a joke one day and said, you know, the guy that plays Barney is black. It'd be great if we could get him to be hip-hop Harry. And now you're sitting in her office. And then she looks at me with these big eyes and goes, that's divine. <laughs> and you were hooked and mesmerized. I'm like, where do I sign? <laughs> I <know. laughs> Look at that, David. Oh, you know what? I'm sorry. I have to uh, wrap up the show. But where can people find out more information about you? Um, there is... Um, of course, my Facebook page, okay. djoiner22, facebook.com slash djoiner22. Um, and I don't have a website because I've never really needed a website right. to advertise. Of course, there's IMDB. There's hiphopharry.com. All right. You can check out that. Yeah. And um, that's about it. That's great. That's great. It has been so wonderful having you on the show. Thank you. Thank you. I've enjoyed gabbing. <laughs> Any quick advice you give people who, uh, you know, trying to follow their dreams, doing something new and different and kind of afraid? Yes. Number one, God is in the details. Be very detail-oriented about everything that you do. And then number two is don't let setbacks make you lose sight of the journey. Beautiful. Beautiful. Well, you have a beautiful day, wonderful week, and happy holidays. And thank you again for coming on the show. You're very welcome. Thank you, my dear. All right. You've been listening to Get the Funk Out Show, and up next, we have Cure for the Blues with Sheldon Abbott. Have a wonderful week. I'm your host, Janine. I'll be back here next Monday. Peace out.